Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt. I'm a cis white gay man and a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Tracy Bame. Tracy, thank you so much for coming. It's an honor. Would you mind um, introducing yourself, uh, what you do, and your pronouns, please? Sure. Uh, Tracy Bame, she, her pronouns. Um, I'm born and raised in Chicago, and I graduated college in 1984, returned home, and within a month started work at a gay newspaper called Gay Life Newspaper, published by Chuck Redslow and a year later co-founded Windy City Times. So I've been covering and part of the LGBT community here since 1984. I remember my first Pride. I wasn't out, but I was out to myself and I was in London and I was like, I'm gonna wear, it was like a Burger King or something, had like a little like rainbow crown. I was like, I'm gonna put this on. And like, it was like the littlest baby steps towards like authentic representation, like being yourself. Um, but like all of that, um, that level of pride, I guess, kind of, um, operates to the same goal of like, you know, being yourself or representing yourself in a way that's comfortable for you so that other people can see and and feel comfortable. So I don't know where I was going with that statement, but it's just uh, really fun to think about. Well, here's what, here's what happens when people repress. They buy AR-15s and they kill Mm. other people. We do not want to live in a society that causes anybody to suppress a portion of themselves that then causes them internal harm enough that they want to harm other people or harm themselves. The suicide rates we know are higher and the suicide ideation is higher within the LGBTQ community. But we also, this also has an impact on, on, on cisgender straight white men when they think they have to fit some kind of mold. And when they are taught that about white supremacy on, on the internet and through rabbit holes, they go down in algorithms, they, there's a Arthur Dong has, is a great documentary maker, and he has one called License to Kill. He went into prisons and interviewed people who had been um, accused or convicted of violence against gay men. And many of them were repressing their own homosexuality or some kind mm. of thing about who they were in externally killing. Um, I've covered a lot of what's called homosexual overkill. Overkill is somebody who who basically is... Sorry to be so uh, visual, but multiple stab wounds, multiple shots in terms of killing a gay person. Mm. And they are trying to kill something in themselves when they're doing that. So this repression isn't just an internal thing. It has a societal cost that that. So what if someone wants to be in drag? So what if a 10-year-old kid sees a drag queen and laughs when they're reading a children's book, right? This will allow people to become far more expressive. You know, the children of LGBT kids do not become LGBTQ any more than the percentage of the population. What they are is less repressed about who they may be, including their masculinity, their femininity, et cetera. They're allowed to express it in ways that are, are not normal to them instead of trying to get society to put them into a box Um, And that's what, to me, the goal of society should be. Um, We shouldn't be afraid of drag queens. We should be be afraid of racist 18-year-olds buying AR-15s and taking them to schools. That's where our focus should be. That is, I think, the missing link that's being left out, I feel, of a lot of conversations, especially um, since Uvalde and, I mean, I could 
continue putting commas and naming cities, um, that, you know, that uh, anti-drag queen law came out after in Texas and people were like, well, how could you pass that, Uh, especially in light of what happened? And um, I think that makes so much sense, sense, but it it hadn't occurred to me that, you know, the ability to express yourself we think of as isolated to the queer community, but it could, that can, you know, us, you know, putting our best selves out there and, and really being true to ourselves and expressing ourselves and knowing that we are free to be whoever we want to be, that can ripple outwards to the straight community, to whoever, uh, allowing society as a whole to, to live our lives. And then there's, like you said, less repression, less repression, excuse me, um, less need to fit into a societal box, um, you know, yeah, free your mind and the rest will follow. Follow Lil, Lil Nas X and you you as a straight black man, cisgender black straight man, can be more free to be who you are. Yeah. Because there is this spectrum. There is this Kinsey 6 on sexuality and probably a Kinsey 50 on gender expression. Mm-hmm. And if you're allowed as a straight person to have that freedom, you also, I think, are a better person. Yeah. I I think that's something that the straight community kind of forgets about in that, like, you know, your idea of what's appropriate may differ from what's happening at a pride parade. Um, but what's happening at a pride parade might allow your child to not be bullied down Mm -hmm. the road, even if their school is predominantly straight, white, cis, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that freedom of expression does ripple outwards and has a lot of, um, impact. Yeah. There are a lot of effeminate boys who are not gay, who are not trans, Mm -hmm. but at 10, 11 years old, they're getting called faggot. Right. And they're suicidal. They may not be gay. It's too soon, really, to know your gender identity and sexuality. You can think you're on a path, but people are allowed to change. People change at 50 years old um, how they express themselves, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are telling someone who's that vulnerable that they're they're in that box, and I know plenty of effeminate straight guys who were so bullied that had they been allowed to not fit some box and be allowed to express themselves, they would have been a lot healthier as adults. Yeah. So yes, I think the gay community, the LGBTQ community spectrum allows a whole lot of other folks on different spectrums to feel more comfortable with who they are. That's an excellent sentiment. Um, transitioning a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about rainbow washing at pride because, um, it seems like a relatively recent phenomenon where companies really want to tap into the queer marketplace with their marketing during pride month. Um, and, a lot of times it brings a little bit um, less than sincere um, and, and uh, you know, the merch that might pop up in places like Target or whatever seems a little um, heavy handed or um, done improperly. Is this a recent phenomenon of, of companies wanting to cash in on queer people? You know, I think it started probably with alcohol beverage companies in the 1980s that, um, that were doing it in ways because the gay bars were so popular and, and sold they sold a lot of beer and vodka. So there were some brands like Absolute and, and Miller and some others that did it well. They sponsored sports teams or, or um, you know, they did underwriting of, of nonprofit events, including AIDS causes, et cetera. Um, in the 90s, it became a few other companies like IBM, and others, and, and a lot of it started to shift when internally within companies, LGBT people were coming out and asking their companies to do something kind of on the corporate, um, for employees, right? So yeah. I think it started out of a genuine sense of doing something good for employees, and then the employees started getting contingents in pride parades. So it came out of a really good place where employees wanted to feel like they were 
like if, if your company had a float in the St. Patrick's Day Parade and their Mexican Independence Parade, et cetera, you would have a float in the Pride Parade. And even media stations like ABC and others, it was kind of coming out of employees and also um, an external visibility, right? It didn't feel as exploitive because it was actually LGBT employees and their allies marching on these floats. And even still today, that's some of the, the case in Pride Parades. But there's a whole lot of other stuff around that that is is poisonous and, and potentially harmful. And that tokenization, when it's really just one aspect, it doesn't work mm -hmm. to me. And and someone coming from the LGBT media side of this with Windy City Times and others, I see a little too much to not be jaded mm -hmm. by this, this pink washing, this, this rainbow washing. Um, we've seen it happen um, time and again where a company really is just tokenizing their support. And um, the HRC, Human Rights Campaign Equality Index, is one good indication of, uh, it's only one, but it's one indication of how a company is doing. Most of it is internally facing. So it's about your policies on transgender health coverage, LGBT employee general policies, et cetera. I would like it to be far more external facing, including they're starting to punish um, organizations that fund anti-LGBT politicians. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there needs to be much more aggressive, um, proactive, rating of that, as well as how they market to the community three, 365 days a year, including through LGBT-owned properties. Um, many of these companies skip right over LGBT-owned media and online sites and mm -hmm. go right to the bravos of the world and other places. And to me, that is, that's not empowering. It's as if you are marketing to the black community and forgetting the entire existence of the black press, the Latino press, et cetera. So I think there are definitely gold standards and ways to do this better and without pandering. Um, and it has to be both an internal policy, so the policies that HRC rates are very important, but also the external visibility. And to me, one of the worst traits ever in individuals and institutions is hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. So you cannot tell us you support our rights and then support uh, politicians who do not. Do not come to us if you support anti-gay anything. Right. And that includes politicians. Well said. It's, it's you have to walk the walk and talk the talk, not not one or the other. Um, and, and that... That's something I've noticed too. Is uh, as a consumer, is it's difficult to navigate the world um, while also holding yourself to a high like um, ethical standard consumption wise. Um, I had friends that were at gay days at Disney, and it sparked this whole big discussion in our group chat because people were like, "Well, Disney has obviously um, not been the most supportive of queer employees or um, just queer people in general." So. But on the other hand, Disney is this huge, you know, conglomerate of brands and companies. And, and so if you start drawing the line on certain things about, you know, I will not support this, then, then you know, you can almost, you know, you, you, and some of it feels like you'd have to be a hermit in order to withdraw yourself from all the companies and corporations that have ever donated money to a homophobic candidate or homophobic policies. So how do you navigate this world knowing that, that is the case. Yeah, I don't think there's any perfect way to do boycotts and boycotts rarely have had huge effects, but internally policy changes happen when LGBT employees fight from the inside, probably more than a lot of the outside pressure. So I think we, we still need to do all of that. We still need to not go to Chick-fil-A. You know, we mm -hmm. still need to do some of those things we can do on an everyday basis. More importantly, I think we need to support the small businesses that are LGBTQ owned in Chicago, we have many of them, or those that are supportive and allies and raise the rainbow flags more than just in pride. Um, so I think there are ways we can smartly spend our money um, in our own ecosystems 
as best as possible. That doesn't mean I don't buy gas at gas companies that probably have horrible policies. Right. You know, there are some things that we can't, um, can't change uh, on an everyday basis. But I think what's interesting is corporate activism, and I mean that in the corporations making change sense, has worked over the years. There's been times when major corporations have uh, written letters in, against policies in Indiana and in Colorado and North Carolina or even decided not to have corporate um, headquarters or events or shoot films in some of these places. And that kind of activism is important. And I think standing by those companies when they do those risky things is important. Um, I was part of the gay games in Chicago in 2006 and working on corporate uh, sponsorships. And one of them came up through an employee group. Um, employee asked for them to do a grant, Kraft Foods. Mm -hmm. And at the time, this was, you know, still controversial supporting gay events. And there was some blowback to Kraft uh, and Walgreens and, and a couple other companies, but Kraft in particular took a hit because they're a very consumer brand. And um, uh, a man named Firestone, who was very high up in the company, wrote an incredible letter of support and said that they were gonna stand by their gay employees in staying by this support of the gay games. It was a $25,000, very small support grant um, but they stuck by it. They didn't ask for it back. They didn't ask for their logo to be removed and sponsorships. And it, to me, it was a line in the sand in corporate support it, in 2006. It was a shifting mm -hmm. towards supporting employees of all kinds um, that was really important. Um, and there were a few other times when that has happened. Um, but it is, it is scary to see how, how embedded corporations are in all politics in a way that um, there's hardly anybody pure out there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I've I've I felt like always is like how, how do I choose? What do I you know? But it's it's encouraging to hear that we have other ways to impact things rather than our dollar. Obviously, that you know our consumer habits do matter, but mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more to it as well. I want to focus a little bit on your specialty, which is uh, journalism in the media. I'm I'm curious, how have you noticed uh, queer representations or even just you know? articles in passing referencing queer uh, identities, how has that shifted um, over the past 30 years um, in terms of how queer people are, queer people are represented um, in journalism? There's been an immense shift in that. And in the, so in 1984, when I graduated with a journalism degree, there were maybe five openly gay journalists in the country working in mainstream publications. I didn't think I'd have a path in media at all. Mm -hmm. My stepfather worked at the Chicago Tribune. There were only closeted gay people at the Tribune. Nobody was out. Nobody was out pretty much almost across the country except for Randy Schultz in San Francisco and a handful of others. So I didn't, you know, that, that impacted the coverage, right? You had still stories about pedophilia being linked to homosexuality when early AIDS coverage was really horrible and homophobic or ignorant. Um, and that started to, you know, so I got a career in gay press, so I was lucky, yeah. but, um, a lot of other people just left the world when they came mm -hmm. out, they left the media world. So around 1990, a man named Roy Aaron started the National LGBT Journalists Association. Um, and that their goal was to shift the culture of newsrooms in the mainstream. So they didn't care about the gay press really. Um, but they did care about the culture within mainstream organizations like the New York Times, Tribune, et cetera. They started to help protect and create policies around being openly gay in the newsroom and how, and then complement that with GLAAD, which was already documenting homophobic, uh, transphobic type coverage in the newsrooms. So those parallel uh, tracks 
really helped profoundly change newsrooms in this country. And by the time Matthew Shepard was uh, violently attacked and later died in the late 1990s, mm -hmm. there were far more openly gay journalists out there, and there were definitely better policies in newsrooms on how to cover gay people. So I think that was one of the first times you, would, you saw the mainstream media cover without judgment a hate crime and then the subsequent death of Matthew Shepard. And that was for a lot of reasons. His parents were very supportive. They allowed his photos to be used. He was this young, telegenic, white, says gay guy. Mm -hmm. um, he did not die right away. So there, was, there were four days of vigils and marches, even in Chicago while he was still living. And so there was a lot of, a lot of reasons that story built traction. But it really did change how uh, mainstream media was, was covering us, having an LGGA building up to that. And so since then, there's been a lot, a lot of progress. I mean, we obviously have Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper and mm -hmm. Don Lemon and, and lots of other people openly on broadcast and, and, and all sorts of news areas. I think always there's room to grow and, and, and do more. And I still think there's a need for LGBT media specifically, not only because we do cover it 24-7, 365, not just pop into a story here and there, right. um, but also just with more nuance more mm -hmm. variety of coverage, more deep coverage. Um, so I think we need both that mainstream being better as it has been um, in most cases, not Fox News, not Tucker Carlson, um, but in, in many other ways, it's been a definite progress. Um, yeah. You need to see it all across the country in rural areas and everywhere else. But I do think there's been a lot of progress and NLGJ and GLAD are a big part of the reason. Yeah. My head is kind of uh, spinning trying to connect all of our our, our our thoughts together with one thread, but I think the, the trend that keeps emerging is that um, in Pride, whether it's literally in Pride parades, uh, expressing your identity, doing whatever, or on a huge scale, society-wise, uh, whatever industry you're in, whether it's, you know, journalism or you're fighting for, you know, better marketing during Pride months within whatever organization you're is, uh, the key to all of this is really uh, self-expression and using your voice um, to push for a better tomorrow, I guess. Is mm -hmm. that uh, a, a bad summation of everything we've been talking about? Um, obviously, there's it's more intricate than that, but I, I feel like the, 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 the center of a lot of this is realizing that you as a person in whatever uh, situation or organization uh, or system you exist within, um, you have impact. Yeah, so. I mean, we, we can't have single point failure that our whole movement relies on a pride parade, right? Right. We have to have change within every system that exists, every institution. And that's what Barbara Giddings and Frank Kameny were fighting for in the mm -hmm. 60s. Change those institutions and you change society. Now, unfortunately, some institutions like the Supreme Court are going backwards, <laughs> but many other institutions are progressing forward. And one of the things I always say is that the straight community doesn't get us most of the time. They don't understand us because they only see us at pride parades and things they don't understand, yeah. right? They're like, why isn't there a heterosexual pride parade? Well, because you don't need one. You have one every day of the year, right? Right. But they don't get it, right? But what they do get are the institutions that support their lives. And that's right. marriage, that's, you know, the psychiatric association, that's the library association, it's Almost craft, yeah. it's yeah. everything else in the world, right? They do get, because mm -hmm. they, they exist, families, children, they get those things. Not that we should, you know, compromise who we are to exist within their world, but when we do, when, when gays want to be in the military, when gays want to get married, when gays want to raise children, that shifts people's understanding. Mm -hmm. And when marriage equality first became law, I fought a lot for marriage equality just because I thought it was in the way of working on homeless issues and other yeah. things. Um, but once we had it, 
I saw, I went to a lot of weddings in the first year or two. Some people together a year, some like 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. And the straight people with their, at those weddings, especially those who were there reluctantly, within a two or three hour window of time, I saw their physical body and their physical face expressions change. Yeah. There was this understanding of tradition, a lens that they could see something through, a lens that didn't work for them with pride parades or other kinds of things, but they understood a wedding. They understood a memorial. They understood other kinds of things that they existed in, you know, in their universe. Again, I don't think we should ever ourselves pander to them right. by being co-opted. But most of our community does just want to be like everybody else. Yeah. And we should acknowledge that and fight for their rights to get married or be in the military or whatever it is, too. Um, and that does change those institutions as well. Yeah, it's it's changing the, the institutions because th that... That rings so true for me because, I mean, my parents, when I came out, were initially supportive uh, to a degree, uh, you know, as much as they could be being, you know, religious and everything and, and from a small town. But it uh, it is seeing, you know, normalized, I guess, representations or, or you know, uh, a queer identity functioning within those systems that they could understand that. It's made them realize, like, okay, this is... Let's say we're, we're infiltrating them. Right. Yeah, yeah. It sounds a little sneaky, but that's that exactly is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, sorry, this isn't a long episode, guys, but there's so much good information. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll do one more question here. Um, how can we celebrate Pride better or be more inclusive with our Pride activities? There's been critiques um, surrounding Pride that it's not for everyone, uh, you know, uh, if accessibility issues um, with, you know, not everybody can get out in the street and celebrate pride uh, and not everybody wants to for a lot of people, big parties and big crowds and, and confetti and glitter is not their MO. How do we um, celebrate pride in a way that's true to ourselves and also make it um, accessible to everybody? Well, I think this has been a question uh, forever, right? Mm -hmm. Like even the 1980s pride parades when I first started covering them was about 50,000 people that would go it by then. Now it's close to a million. We'll see what this first one in three years will yeah. bring. I have to be at a family thing in Ohio. So this would be one of my only parades I've missed. Um, but so they've never been for everybody. I know a lot of my queer friends don't go to pride anymore. They don't go to big dance parties, big clubs. They just don't. Mm -hmm. So we just need to be queer where we are and not think that we all have to come together for any one thing. First of all, we'd never fit in any one parade or any one bar. Um, but I do think there are things we can do to be a better community. And that is to be not transphobic, to, to be as accepting of our differences as we expect society to be of our own individual difference. Um, to not be racist, we have, just as society does, our community has a tremendous amount of racism, ageism, lookism, sizeism, classism. We have all the isms to society. If we want to be a true community, we have to embrace and accept all of that. Um, that includes supporting the smaller LGBT organizations as well as the larger ones like Howard Brown. There are tremendous organizations on the ground doing work across the city of Chicago um, from, from the Association of Latinx um, Motivating Action to Brave Space Alliance to all these other organizations. Support them during Pride. Do your tithing to your community like you mm -hmm. might to your church and do it to the LGBT-friendly churches as well. Um, know that we have every part of our community. We have the gay jocks. We have the drag queens. We have every part. We have drag queens who play softball, right? We have everything within our community. We have to be less racist, sexist, and all those other things if we want to truly be a community. And I, it's the worst part of the community that I cover in these 38 years is those divisions. 
and um, and most recently the the you know cisgender folks that are saying trans people aren't part of the community or intersex people aren't community etc. Like stop this, stop this mm -hmm. nonsense. If you want to be accepted, you need to be accepting. I love that, and you put that so perfectly. If you want to be accepted, you have to be accepting. That's a great way to drive that home. We're wrapping up our episode, and I, I think uh, that that what you just said kind of functions as a good last statement, but is there any final words you want to impart on our listeners uh, surrounding pride or um, even outward and beyond that, just in, in general? No, I, you know, I really often feel this community uh, is tethered, tied together very loosely and people that move into Chicago, especially find a, sometimes find a hard time finding a foothold. And I would just say, find an organization. Uh, an organization is your best way in to finding the movement here. There is a tremendous movement. It's larger than it's ever been, but it's also a lot more amorphous and, and you might find gay people in the Black Lives Matter movement that you're working with or the immigrant justice movement. It's not always gonna be an LGBT specific organization or AIDS organization. So just find it. And if you find an organization where you don't fit in, find another one. Because don't leave the movement just because of the people in the movement. They can often be the things that are so traumatized and internally homophobic or transphobic that right. they're not healthy enough for you to be around. So just move on to a different organization. Don't allow um, that personality differences to drive you out. Yeah, yeah. I like that concept of intersectionality where, you know, just because it's not a, a queer organization on the nose doesn't mean that you can't affect good change for the queer community. So. Tracy, thank you so much for uh, your time and all of your knowledge and uh, educating us on uh, all things Pride in this episode. I, I say to everyone that it is the running joke that we'll have to have you back to talk more. Um, but that's because uh, so far, all of my interviews, I do have to have them back to talk more because they're so... There's, I have I have questions on here that we didn't even get to, but um, that'll, that'll be in a later episode yeah, for sure. But uh, in the meantime, Tracy, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. And that has been our episode about all things Pride. If you are interested in any resources uh, regarding Howard Brown that we talked about on the episode, you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening.